This week's Hunt and Land podcast is brought to you by the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Take a minute to listen to this special message. Turkey season will start soon. It's time to listen for those gobblers. Remember to game check your harvest. Your game check data will help manage one of Alabama's favorite game birds. Hunt safe and enjoy the season. Remember to do your part. Game check. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. For more information, visit our website at outdooralabama.com. This is Hunting Land, the podcast for landowners and land hunters with how-tos for habitat management and land investment. If you own, manage, or dream of owning land, this is the podcast for you. Clint, this week we are talking habitat management, specifically wild turkeys, even more specifically eastern wild turkeys. Uh, in Alabama, where you reside, it is uh, March 16th, so opening day of turkey season, and, and there's a lot of excited folks around the state. Turkey hunters are a special breed. They re- I think they're, they're kind of part philosophers in one way, but all of them are addicted to the core. The, uh, at least the ones that, that I know, uh, it's a, it's just a special sport. It's a special time of year to be out in the, uh, just be outdoors that, you know, the, the woods are waking up, the buds are starting to pop on all the trees. And, and I, I don't, I don't personally, there's not a much better for me than sitting up against a tree, waiting on first light, waiting to hear a turkey gobble and listening to the rest of the things that are going on out there. Uh, you going to make it out this weekend? I'm going to try, but we've also got uh, our first T-ball game, so <laughs> that may trump at least my opening morning. I can understand that. It does seem like springtime, there's always a lot going on. You know, turkey habitat management really is a, it's a year-round thing. The guys that are doing it and doing it well, they, they're paying a lot of attention to it. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about some different ways that you can improve the wild turkey habitat on your property. We've got a guy today who's done quite a bit of that in his career. The Westervelt Company and the Westervelt Lodge has been taking hunters, uh, wild turkey hunting, and managing a lot of acreage for wild turkeys for many, many years. And today, we've got Ryan Basinger with us. And Ryan is the wildlife biologist and also the lease and acquisitions manager for the Westervelt Company. Ryan, welcome to the show, man. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about what you do over at Westervelt and give us a little little intro to, to the Westervelt company. Well, I uh, appreciate you having me. What I do depends on the season, basically. If it's deer season, we're managing deer and turkey season, we're managing turkeys and managing people in between, uh, seems like. So uh, getting ready for the next seasons. But anyway, I've had several roles with the company. Uh, most recently is the lease and acquisitions uh, division. I still uh, primarily uh, or, or since I, I started with Westervelt about 15 years ago, been a consultant, uh, worked with private landowners throughout the Southeast, uh, managing properties for, uh, for wildlife, mainly to improve the hunting quality and recreational value of property. So that's, that's kind of what I've done. I've gotten, uh, worked in our hunting lease division and worked with uh, hunting clubs in our Gulf region for five or six years. But anyway, uh, for those that may not be that familiar with Westervelt, we're uh, a company based in West Alabama, Tuscaloosa. We own own land in uh, several states in the southeast. We've got about half a million acres that we manage primarily for timber, but we uh, recognize the 
the uh, recreational and hunting value of of land in the south and uh, so we've tried to uh, build a uh, a good uh, wildlife and hunting and recreational division uh, and manage that aspect of it too so we've got Westervelt Lodge is a commercial hunting lodge in West Alabama it's uh, on the Tom Bigby River in Aliceville, and it's about 10,000 acres of uh, southern river bottom hunting at its finest, so it's a great place. I know with that much land to manage, you guys have, have seen it all when it comes to habitat management for wild turkeys and, you know, what works and what doesn't. But before we get to that, you know, you're a wildlife biologist, so I'm, f- I'm sure you're full of useless information that, that we can <laughs> we can pull out of you, so... You know, I want to go through some some turkey fun facts. I love the wild turkey, man. I mean, it's a uh, it's just a it's a cool animal. I don't think there's really any other kind of hunting that rivals it as far as I'm concerned. So I want to know some different things about wild turkeys. Tell me first, how long does a wild turkey live? Wild turkeys, if you break it down by uh, kind of their in their life cycle, only about 25 percent survive past two or three weeks. So when you factor that into the average life expectancy, obviously that pulls it down pretty pretty quick. If you take that out, you uh, they they can live a, a good while unless you know they're they're hunted heavily or there's high predation rates in a certain area, lots of critters or whatever that in a given area. But they can you know they've been uh, known to live for ten to fifteen years with uh, radio transmitters and GPS technology and all that and and just observations. Uh, on marked birds so yeah they can they can live a, a good while that's the uh, ones i'm hunting i'm hunting all the 10 to 15 year old ones <laughs> yeah all those have uh over inch and a half spurs right right so. <laughs> oh, i don't know i never kill them so <laughs> <laughs> they outsmart him so he just assumes they're 10 to 15 right yeah they're all they're all 15 years old right they're all old turkeys yeah, yeah. No, no doubt that's right, all right I, i've heard this and i want the official I want the official word on this. So, you know, I, I've been told over the years that when when turkeys in the spring, when they've got their, you know, gobbler's got his harem hens, that he breeds each hen each day and that she goes off and lays a new egg. Is that right? When do these turkeys lay their eggs? There's some truth to that. But um, like anything dealing with wild animals, there's a lot of variability, a lot of variation. So, they don't have to be bred every day. We try to keep this G-rated, but sometimes they just do anyway. But they will lay, and once the hen starts laying, she can, uh, she'll generally lay an egg a day. And it's usually uh, in the middle of the day when she lays. But the first few days, she may skip a day between eggs. It seems like she's kind of got to get her body primed or ready for you know, to be able in, in the egg production phase and, and reproductively, her body needs a little time to get kind of tuned up, so to speak. So so it usually takes them about 14 days to lay 10 or 12 eggs, if that makes sense. If she lays a clutch of eggs and, and then she has a possum or raccoon or some other kind of nest predator gets in there and destroys that nest, will she will she lay again or is she done for that year? That depends too. Often they where they are in... The, the year and if and how long it's been since she was bred so they can remest they've been you know documented remest and you know a hen remesting multiple times throughout the summer uh, i wouldn't say that was would be the case every time so uh, if the first nest is predated or destroyed she may or may not remest if she does remest 
success goes down a little bit on a re-nest, but also the number, the clutch size is usually smaller on the second ne- uh, nesting attempt. So it's like she kind of maybe run out of steam a little bit. All right, last fun fact. Now, if you've walked around in the woods enough with an old timer, when you're deer hunting, you know, they'll look at some deer droppings and they would always say, well, this is a doe and this is a buck, right? Or they'd see a track and they say, well, that's a doe and this is a buck. A lot of that is just kind of old, you know, old wives tales. But one of the things I always heard and still hear to this day is that you can sex a wild turkey by its droppings. And if you've seen enough wild turkey droppings, you'll see the, the J-shaped droppings and then you'll see the little mounds. Is that true? Uh, I, I would say there's a lot of truth to that. So the J-shaped or L-shaped droppings that are a little larger in, in girth are going to be, are typically going to be male birds. And the, the females are going to be kind of loopy or spiral-shaped droppings. I wouldn't say that's the case every time, but it makes for a good conversation, you know. When it, you it does. I was always taught uh, the J shape, just you know, J is for Jake, and that was how I always yeah, remember. Easy that. to remember. That's, that's right. right. But there, there's truth to that. All right, Ryan. Well, I appreciate you teaching me a little, little something about the wild turkeys. I want to really know, though, what I want to get into is turkey habitat, and part of owning land and leasing land is is managing that land to improve the wildlife habitat. And turkeys are, you know, they're special. They need some things that that maybe just managing for deer doesn't quite get you. So let's talk about wild turkey habitat requirements, okay? First things first, food. When we're talking about deer, we know that the majority of a deer's diet is going to come from browse. What Mm -hmm. makes up the majority of a wild turkey diet? Turkeys would be classified as opportunistic feeders. If you look at diet studies across turkey home ranges and among the different subspecies or whatever, it just there's a million things that have been found in uh, crops of turkeys. Uh, so the biggest thing with turkeys is the season or availability of food sources. So, uh, for example. Uh, in the fall and winter, if there's been a good acorn crop that particular year, the, the majority of their diet's going to be acorns. You have other things coming in too with seed production, you know, plants that have been growing in the summer and, and they, you know, mature, go to seed, drop seed on the ground, get a frost, plants die, opens up the ground. So turkeys are out there scratching for seeds. So, uh, you just got things that emerge and become available at different times. In the spring, after green up, you know, you got, you know, plants that are uh, sprouting, new sprouts, you know, green vegetative matter, you know, food plots that people have planted are usually clover starting to pop in and uh, and recover from, you know, the cold winter or whatnot. So it's starting to, it's got new growth on it. So they're eating different things. And then, then in the late spring, and during the nesting period, they're eating a lot of invertebrates and insects. You know, starting to temperatures are starting to heat up. There's new vegetation on plants that creates a lot of uh, uh, habitat for invertebrates. So they're walking through herbaceous vegetation, flushing up grasshoppers and leafhoppers and everything else, trying to get you know a high protein food source there. So it really just depends on the season and the life cycle and what you know their bodies are telling them that they need during that time. So lots of different things on on the turkey diet. 
when you're managing for turkeys and you want them on your property, you need to be doing things that provides year-round food sources based on what things can become available throughout the year. Right. I mean, we take you take something like a chufa, for example, that you can plant. Turkeys love them. We know that, but that's a rel- relatively that's a short time frame that those turkeys are able yes. to utilize that food source. So that's right. What do you feel is more important uh, when it comes to having food for turkeys? Do you feel like managing native vegetation that's there is more important, less important than, say, planting uh, different types of, of food for turkeys? Yeah, hands down. Not necessarily because of uh, what you could produce in a, a food plot for turkeys, but, you know, production or yield per given area. But when you think about across a property, you can't just plant your whole property in food plots, you know, and different things. So you've, you've got to take advantage of naturally occurring habitats or vegetation and optimize those based on the type of habitat they are and what kind of practices that are suitable to uh, implement in that type of habitat that can create, you know, food sources for turkeys, whether it be acorns in the fall and winter, if you're trying to enhance a, uh, a hardwood stand that's got, or maybe predominantly oaks, uh, to release those trees through removing competition around the crowns that may be competing for sunlight, which in turn, if you can increase crown size, you can, in theory, if that's a good producing oak, you can increase uh, acorn production of that given tree. You can do some things like that. Or if you're trying, if you've got open piney woods and you're just choked out with undesirable hardwoods in the understory or midstory that's suppressing potential valuable habitat for turkeys, you need to go in and remove that midstory that's intercepting all the sunlight that you're trying to get on the ground to promote those grasses or seed producing forbs that are much more beneficial for turkeys to forage in or nest in and something you can introduce fire into and manage it with fire and keep setting that back and keep it at ground level for turkeys or you know whatever it may be that you have on your property the key is to manage it in a way where turkeys really never have to leave you know you've got all the ingredients there that during different times of year that you can satisfy you know their dietary needs in that way you know i've always heard they don't they don't spring where they fall is that pattern of of turkeys being in one place in the fall and another place in the spring is that more related to their mating or is that more related to their their food food driven uh, a couple of things are happening there <clears throat> you've got you know acorns that are starting to fall in the fall and winter during years where they we have a good acorn year uh, of course that's not every year is highly variable and driven by a lot of different factors but but it's a couple of things are going you got acorns that are falling and turkeys are just generally nomadic in nature they just kind of feed and just like they've got no pattern you know they just kind of wander about a lot of times particularly that time of year but the other thing is particularly in the south and in areas that are heavily dominated by pine plantations you know industrial timber management areas that got you have thick cover after you get a few frosts the woods kind of open up a little bit so turkeys you know, now they're not cut off with thick cover as much as they are in the summertime. So they can penetrate some of these stands and they kind of 
opens them up to new areas and then they just get to moving and they get up with another flock and then they get up with another flock and create a big drove and then they're just going around looking for food so their their winter range is significantly larger than their spring and summer range comes to control fire in a in a pine setting i've got a lot of clients and, and landowners and kind of all across the board across different areas that are doing instead of doing a single burn every three years across the entire track they're breaking it up and doing rotational burnings um so they've got a little diversity in that understory is that something you see as beneficial yeah i meant to kind of touch on that a little more earlier uh having that diversity helps uh ensure that you've got different you know different levels of plant succession that are going to be in different stages and can can diversify you know the amount and type and uh, availability of different food sources for example clint you mentioned rotational burning so you burn off this patch of woods this year and this summer you may have more you know you'll be dominated by annual plants maybe um partridge pea and a lot of ragweed may come in so those are all like annual plants that come in the first year after disturbance and they're they're heavy seed producers so they'll provide a lot of uh, and they're forbs so they attract a lot of insects so that that summer that's going to be the prime brood rearing habitat for poults and and hens you know take her brood out there and it creates a good level of a canopy layer for her to let her broods feed underneath all that uh, vegetation you got good and from the disturbance you've got bare ground underneath so they're picking up you know insects underneath all that so that's your year one burn so maybe the year before you burn an adjacent pine stand beside it that you didn't burn this year so that's got two years worth of growth and that's going to be you know it's going to have more time for plants to colonize and the seed bank to germinate and you've got, you know, different, a little bit, a year older, so you got more species, more perennials start moving in, maybe some blackberry. So that's going to be a better nesting area. So it's got a lot more, it'll have more thatch and, and, and substrate for hens to nest in. So having those two components, having good nesting area right there beside your breeder and habitat, that's going to help, you know, minimize the exposure of those young poults as she you know, leads them away from the nest and, you know, starts their new life out in the in the woods. So they can, you know, have that good habitat in close proximity to where the nest is. That's just less of a chance for hawks and owls and everything else to, to see them. Ryan, you, you brought up nesting habitat. So that kind of leads us into the, the next piece. If you've got, you know, you've got food for your turkeys, the, the other important thing is cover. Let's let's talk a little bit about predation. You mentioned hawks and owls. How does a turkey protect himself or herself from predators? What are the different methods that that they use? For turkeys, it's going to be sight. They can see so good, and they can their head, their eyes are on the side of their head. They can, they're on a swivel, so they can see a lot more than we can. So they're gonna they're gonna select areas that minimize their risk for the most part. Sometimes you have exceptions, but for the most part, they're going to try to stay in areas where they can, you know, protect themselves and their young. So that's where, you know, good habitat planning and management comes in to provide, you know, those key habitat characteristics that they search for by providing that at a higher level across the property 
you can increase the carrying capacity or survival of birds on that property by providing more of what they're seeking out. Just to use the example that we just discussed on a two-year unburned area adjacent to the first, you know, freshly burned area, one of them's providing nesting cover, the other one's providing brood rearing. Well, the good brood rearing habitat right beside the nesting habitat, it's going to be, you know, open at ground level for the most part. You're going to have newly emerged plants coming in. And about the time, if you've timed your burn, if you've just done a, you know, a, a late dormant season burn or something, by the time uh, poults are hatching in May or June, that cover should be about two feet high. So by then, the hen can walk around and, you know, keep her head just above that where the poults are underneath that, that layer of that basically umbrella canopy. That's what we call it. They're moving underneath that stuff. So you can't really see them. So that's a, a good strategy to try to reduce predation rates on, you know, turkeys on the properties, provide the right type of habitat and time your activities uh, to help them be more conducive to, you know, what turkeys are doing that time of year. What about predators? Uh, we had, we did a show, uh, Clint and I did on, on trapping. Uh, do you guys engage in a lot of trapping there at Westervelt Lodge and, and on, on any of your properties? It's across the board. It's just kind of all over the place, really. Um, you got some that are real intensive with it and some that, you know, just kind of like to do it recreationally and mm-hmm. some don't do it at all. So, but generally the, the people that are most serious about, you know, managing for turkeys, they're, they're trapping intensively. I, I would say, most of them don't even truly know if they have a predator problem or not. They just feel like it's not going to hurt. Let's just, you know, let's do it. So it's in terms of quantifying predation rates or coon, le- you know, raccoon population levels or whatever it is, coyotes, bobcats, they just think, you know, most of them, they just read an article and think, okay, I need to do this. Uh, it may or may not have a measurable impact, I guess is what I'm saying, and, until you try it. but. I've seen, uh, and, and like y'all have seen, um, seen it explode. Uh, people are people have really gotten into it. You know, your mileage may vary. I guess is is kind of the moral of that story. But I, I definitely know of some just some anecdotal evidence. Um, friends of mine that that do it uh, and have been doing it for a number of years and have stayed at it. You know, it wasn't a they yeah. didn't do it for one year and then stop. They've really stayed at it. And you know, and I know turkey populations can be cyclical and. You know, there's something, obviously there's things that are out of your control. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be continuing to talk about turkey habitat management. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know, how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com slash go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your land goals. And we're back. Today we are talking with Ryan Basinger with us. And Ryan is the wildlife biologist and also the lease and acquisitions manager for the Westervelt Company. Ryan, let's talk a little bit about predators and as they relate to their prey. I've also read in in a number of different places that, you know, predator populations uh, really spike and wane with prey populations. And so having the right habitat for, say, rabbits can decrease the predation on deer, for example. Uh, do you mm-hmm. see some of that same type of 
what, how do you feel about that? That state, just that statement. Is it, is it really is, can we control much of it or is it kind of out of our hands? That, that's a good question. I understand the logic uh, surrounding that. And there, there's been some, you know, a number of studies that have kind of documented those responses. But I guess uh, another thing to consider would be, and it depends on the species and if there's a primary prey species or if there's a species that preys on lots of different things. If you had a species that ate predominant, just lived on rabbits and rabbit populations are up or down, they would be heavily influenced by what rabbit populations are doing, but which would respond to your habitat management as you talked about. But if you've got a species, a predator that eats whatever he sees, sounds like clear. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to yep. be impacting by impacted by what rabbit populations are doing. So the other the other uh, angle of it is I would ask you if if you're improving your habitat for rabbits, okay, and other say small mammals that coyotes may feed on. If you're if you're making more habitat for rabbits and rabbits are responding favorably and you've got a lot more rabbits, well, I guess theoretically feed that many more coyotes or other predators. So you may be could you be attracting more coyotes to your property? Yeah. Um, sure. So I, I don't know. I don't I mean I, I don't I don't have a good answer for you. I, I guess I could just see, you know, that's a lot of layers with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, say it's your mileage may vary and I'm sure it's going to be dependent on your, your individual property uh, and and your individual level of commitment to whatever it is you're doing, whether it's trapping or uh, getting out and hunting them or uh, proving habitat for other prey species. I could see it infinitely variable, but it doesn't seem like it, it can hurt. That's for sure. Yeah. I definitely think uh, when it comes to species that eat turkeys, I think uh, we've done a lot as hunters and managers to increase the level of those uh, those species, you know, turkey predators, particularly nest predators, through uh, just widespread baiting and feeding. Right. Uh, and not only just in Alabama, but, you know, throughout the southeast. As our hunting society gets more and more dependent on corn and feeders and cameras and all these things, I, th- I think we've really made things really nice for coons and skunks and possums and all these other species that are, you know, benefiting from all that probably more than what then, you know, I think we've got unintended consequences there. So uh, I think we've created more of a problem by implementing these things than we realized. Yeah. Clint, you can echo what he's saying about the coons, I think, uh, based on what you've seen at your place. Yeah, we stopped feeding this year. I mean, primarily because of the hogs, but had to kind of start feeding for a while just because we were about the only people that weren't. <laughs> and uh, so we're just trying to keep up with the Joneses on that to try to hold some. And this was for deer primarily, but what we yeah. noticed was a big uptick in in coons, possums, you know, everything else. It just would kind of you start concentrating that, and all of a sudden you see your numbers increase and increase and increase. And you wonder why, but the light bulb comes on pretty quickly. Uh, if you really think about it. Yeah. And that, that's something you mentioned hogs and, and I didn't mean to steer us into, you know, feeding pigs and bait and all that, but it seems like it gets there pretty quick a lot of times, but you know, we deal with that on, on a, a high level. I mean, uh, it's really common for hunting clubs, especially that are, you know, gets kind of sucked into that trap, you know, that we got to keep up with the neighbors, as you mentioned, Clinton, 
just start pouring the corn out and all of a sudden they got hogs like they'd never seen before yeah. and uh don't really know it can't for whatever reason the light bulb doesn't go off so. but, but anyway so we're you know we battle that a lot so well ryan we've covered food we've covered cover what about water you know you hear that with with deer a lot food cover water uh is there anything that you that you think is important for for the guy managing land uh, as it comes to water management practices that that turkeys really benefit from or do they kind of make their own way you know water particularly in terms of a habitat type uh, or habitats associated with water whether it's rivers or drains you know some of those property features can be advantageous in terms of uh, providing good roosting sites good roosting habitat or a particular uh, food source that they would benefit from in those environments. But I, I'm, I guess you're, I think you're probably thinking more of uh, like standing water, drinking water, or daily need water, daily needs for water or whatever. But it, it's not a big issue in the Southeast because we, we generally get a lot of rain. Uh, there's, you know, whether it's uh, mud puddles or in, in Alabama, we've got one of the most diverse ecosystems in terms of aquatic systems and rivers and creeks and streams all over the state so you know turkeys get most of their water through the plants and vegetation that they consume uh, i would say that you know nesting hens probably have a little bit higher water requirement and you'll see uh if you read about you know some of the studies that researchers have done on nesting hens a lot of times when they're continuously incubating when they're kind of sitting on the nest most of the day, they'll, that's one of the first things they do when they, when they get up is they go, they go find some water because they've been sitting there for a while, you know, dealing with those eggs. So hmm. um, maybe a day. So there's some seasonal requirements, but I, I wouldn't say it would be as critical as it is maybe out West in the drier environments. It may get, you know, 15 to 20 inches of rain a year on a good year uh, versus our, you know, 55 or 60 or so or, Seems like a hundred here in, lately that we get. But yeah, well, this year's been, we got our rainfall for the year in the last two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> we, we got our rainfall for this year. And <laughs> if if we're going to talk about improving wild turkey habitat, you know, based on what you've seen work at Westervelt, if you were getting a new lease uh, or just bought some land, you had to start from scratch. What do you feel like is the most important management? Two most important management practices that that a guy could employ. With regards to food, first and foremost, we'll get into cover in a, in a second. If we're talking just food and we're talking managing uh, native vegetation or planting food, what would you do uh, with your with your time and your money? Well, if I was focusing on food, obviously, if you're leasing land, you can't really pick your your habitat types. But if you own your land and you're thinking about trying to set your property up, or if you're looking at buying a property and you're looking for those components that you know were most suitable for turkeys or whatever but i would be looking at a pro or trying to set up in a way where i can do different things throughout the year to provide turkeys with food year round we talked about you know what turkeys eat and the times of year they're eating and i would like to have a property that's say 50 percent mature hardwood and that 50% being kind of scattered throughout the property. It'd be better if it was spread out, uh, had a little bit better distribution 
throughout the property than in, you know in one block in a corner somewhere. But what you're saying there, I mean, like, could you look at like stream management zones as as that hardwood? If you had good stream management zones, would that would that function to get you there? Or are you thinking bigger blocks than that? It could be small blocks, but the the key and it's hard to get away from when you're talking about turkeys or trying to manage the turkeys is connectivity. So you might have the best streamside management zone known to man, but if it's if it's surrounded by five year old pine plantation, turkeys just don't have access to it. You know, if it's forty acres is one thing, but most of you know most S and Zs are thin, uh, depending on how how much how they're marked. You know, before the, the timber surrounding them is harvested. But and I may be getting ahead of things, but the connectivity part is a significant factor. Uh, for turkeys in the southeast where we have a lot of thick cover. Yeah, that's one of the biggest uh, impediments that I've seen a lot of properties that I've looked at is is the lack of connectivity. And you generally see that in heavily managed pine plantation, whether it's industrial timberland or private landowners managing timber, where you've got habitats that are really chopped up and fragmented. And if people could do a little bit more in terms of maintaining connectivity to habitats throughout the property and not blocking habitats out and making them unusable or accessible to turkeys, people would see a, a, a significant increase in use of their property by turkeys. To simplify and, um, that a little more, you know, for people like Joe, do you mean like you've got great roosting habitat, but then you've got the adjoining habitats, there's just nothing for them to come down into to really, you know, get out and move? So they can't really walk to the roosting areas because the, the habitat's too thick. They can't really, they're not going to walk through a five-year-old pine plantation, for example, uh, to get to that, you know, good roosting area uh, unless they're really pressured. You know, it's not going to be like a normal route. For example, plant on the property that I hunt some over in Dallas County that you're familiar with, it's, it's got a good area for turkeys. It's got good hardwoods on a, a, a small river there. Uh, but the surrounding and, and all the surrounding land used to be uh, agricultural fields. So it's a lot of a lot of open open land there. Fields were disc and plowed. A lot of soybeans were planted every year. So turkeys could move around. They had good access. They could walk through those fields, around those fields, and everything. Well, the last couple of years, the landowner has uh, planted pines in all those ag fields. So now it's really thick. So you can't, you know, you used to be able to, you know, walk across one of those fields in a pair of Crocs. Now you need double need Carhartts to get through them. You know, you just, yeah. they're thick. So now that is, that's going to have an impact on turkeys using the place that I hunt over there because I've, I've reduced normal travel and access to and from that property by making, you know, the property lines and, and going outward for half a mile in every direction is now really thick and turkeys just don't use those areas as much as they can't. They're, they're kind of just having to use the fringes of them. Is that why you hear so much that good quail habitat is synonymous with good turkey habitat? Yeah. Yeah. It and, sounds Ryan, like you're, like you're saying, you know, regardless of if you, you know, are starting from scratch that the most important thing is creating some openings for turkeys. Thin, whether it's through thinning or timber stand improvements or controlled burns uh, or planting, you know, opening up fields. Yeah, I would take it a step further 
and not only uh, creating openings, but maintaining uh, the appropriate habitat in those openings through some type of disturbance. So just because, you know, thinning, you know, thinning is, you know, a natural part of the cycle in a, you know, a pine plantation or whatever. So we go in and thin. Well, oftentimes, you know, of course, the first year or two, yeah, you get you get sunlight on the ground and that kind of stimulates the seed bank. You get a good response in vegetation. But depending on what's in the seed bank, where it's located, what species are around you that's going to colonize that site, the responding vegetation may be very undesirable for turkeys. You know, you've all seen, you know, a nice thin pine plantation that's just chock full of sweet gum or other undesirable hardwood that just basically takes over the site and there again renders it useless for turkeys you just see turkeys using the edges of it primarily so they just can't get in there and use it but if you can apply management practices uh, whether it's herbicides or you know a certain type of fire regime whether you know it's a fire regime that maybe you're in september or october late growing season early dormant season burns to try to capture that hardwood and get it knocked out that way you can release those herbaceous plants and that that's the key with turkeys is herbaceous plants is the uh, grasses and forbs and broadleaf herbaceous plants so and, and keeping those there with periodic disturbance so, so that's your periodic disturbances could be anything from like you said it could be control burns it could be herbicide it could be mowing disking strip disking any of those things uh, are going to benefit, but it's it's maintaining those openings is what it sounds like. Yeah, I would steer clear of mowing, other than say in the fall or like a dormant season mow, and uh, use herbicides and fire. They're much more economical and and efficient, I would say. So uh, mowing for cleaning up roads, I, I use mowing, uh, and that's the thing with connectivity. You know, is that I can't can't stress on enough is is if you can, if you've got good, a good road system or an opportunity to have a good road system, is keeping good roadsides. You know, mow those out in the fall when you're kind of getting things, food plots planted, getting your place cleaned up for hunting season and all that. Mow your roads and all that kind of stuff you know, during that time of year, just to kind of keep things open. Particularly if you've got a lot of thick, you know, thick habitat on your property. Uh, that way turkeys have access through those areas if you've got a lot of pre-merchantable pine plantation on your property and it's just really thick you know think about where, where turkeys going to walk you know where are they going to how are they going to use your property how are they going to access your food plots or how are they going to access your thin plantations or your or those uh, smz's or whatnot so go through your property and look it's hard to kind of put yourself in the mind of a turkey but i mean you got to ask yourself you know and be realistic how, how can turkeys use my property? You mentioned planting a chufa field. Well, how, how are they going to get to it to be able to use it? So that, that's, those are the things that I would really stress. And what I've seen going throughout this state, uh, especially in the su- southern half of the state, really, is, um, is that connectivity and, and habitat density. I like it. Well, Ryan, man, I learned a lot today. It sounds like you've you've done it all when it comes to wild turkeys. But I got to ask you, I got to ask you a more serious question. Are you uh, are you are you getting out there after them this this weekend? We got the opening of turkey season starting down there for you in Alabama. Uh, you gonna be yep. after them? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm planning. I haven't decided where yet. I've I've uh, 
I'm really wrestling with where I need to go. Well, so. the, the serious, <laughs> then, the, then the serious question I've got for you is if you could only make one turkey call, and I'm not talking about, you know, the type of call, mouth call, friction, whatever. I'm talking about the call itself. If you could only do one thing, what would you do? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, I would probably use a soft yelp. I think Clint That's would probably sleep my, in. My <laughs> I thought you were going to say call Joe to get more corn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, the call I would use would be that. What's that uh, one that we used to have, be able to buy? Uh, is an electronic spin feeder call? All right. <laughs> um, yeah. That's one. That's what, you hit the button on that and just wait, right? So. <laughs> yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Ryan, thanks for being on the show today, man. Uh, if folks want to book a trip uh, at Westervelt Lodge, I know they can check it out at westerveltlodge.com. Uh, you guys have, tell me a little bit about the, about the lodge there. Uh, how many acres do you have? Yeah, it's, uh, it's about 10,000 acres. It's got that old mature river bottom habitat that, you know, we kind of grew up running dogs and, and, doing deer drives in that you remember as a kid, you know, you just, you just mm-hmm. don't see those, you know, big blocks of, uh, hardwood like, it, you know, we're used to, but it's, uh, it's really neat. It's got, you know, the whole thing's not in hardwood, but it's, you know, got a lot of mature pine plantation on it that we manage with fire, uh, on a rotation. Every stand gets burned every two years for the most part, particularly areas that, uh, we really, uh, focus on turkeys. So we got a lot of fire breaks and, and places that are dissed up that turkeys like to scratch in and dust in and, you know, good stalking areas, but a lot of food plots. It's a cool place. Most years, uh, the average anywhere from 30 to 40 birds a year killed off of it. And, and most of those are the first two or three weeks of the season. That's kind of when we really kind of stay, stay full. So, um, you know, pretty good, pretty good success rate there, but it's got a great lodge, got a lot of history. Uh, you can just kind of feel that history when you walk in the front door. It's pretty neat, and uh, got good food. So uh, yeah, it's a if you're looking for a place, I'd I'd encourage you to check it out. All right, Ryan. Well, thanks again for being on the show. We appreciate your knowledge, and uh, we'll be talking to you again soon, buddy. Be uh, be safe. Have a good opening weekend. Sounds good. I appreciate it, guys. Clint, these next six weeks are going to be tough for me and my wife. It's uh, turkey season's always a struggle between us. But she seems to uh, she seems to come through it right. You know, right about the time I'm getting burned out, she's getting burned out, and then and then it's over with. It's, I, th- I think turkey season is the perfect length of time. Otherwise, I'd, we'd all be divorced. But you know, Ryan was talking about that the connectivity, the concept of connectivity uh, as it relates to turkeys, and a lot of that stuff that he's talking about doing. There's a lot of different programs that, that landowners can access to, to pay for a lot of that stuff, isn't there? It is. And that's, you know, all those activities that he mentioned, the understory management and, and uh, you know, it really comes down to managing sunlight. But all of those things benefit the timber stands as well if they're applied properly and in the right context. They're all 100% tax deductible. And on top of there being cost share programs out there that, that will reimburse landowners or pay landowners for those activities as well, depending on which, which program you dive into. But, you know, there's a lot of dividends to it besides just the, the wildlife or just the timber. They're all mutually beneficial. Well, Clay, you were just out, uh, you were just out at the uh, Realtors Land Institute conference uh, this past week. Uh, did you learn anything interesting, anything timely uh, in the land business? 
out there? I did. It was, uh, it's always interesting to learn from, from brokers across the nation, you know, what's working for them, what's not, what they're seeing in their market. But one thing that applies to all of us is we had several economists speak over the course of the week and, uh, they both seem to agree that, you know, if things keep going well, we can anticipate probably at least two rate bumps before the end of the year. All right, Clint. So the cost to borrow a dollar is going to go up, which means the cost That's to what buy. They're saying. So the cost to buy an acre of land, a financed acre of land is going to go up as well. What does that mean? What does that mean for buyers and sellers? Well, smart buyers know that means they need to go on and move before that happens. I would say smart sellers know that that this is going to be a motivated market and you know it's a good time to uh, to bring your property to market because you've got more people out there actively and and I guess you say feverishly looking trying to get something locked in before they start experiencing the next rise in rates so you talk to guys our dad's age and they're going to say it's still low interest rates I mean oh historically low yeah so All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. Uh, Thanks for listening. Hope you all get out in the woods and get after those turkeys this weekend. I know I will be. Uh, As always, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just send us an email at pros at landhunting.com. We'll see you all next week. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. Guys, we want to hear from you. If you've got any questions about the show or want us to email it to you each week, just send us an email at pros at landhunting.com. That's pros at landhunting, no G, dot com.